if you would, let's go ahead and go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 19. Uh, we'll start at Acts chapter 19, then we'll get started there. Uh, so we, it's been quite some time since we've started the evangelism training clinic here. Uh, there's eight lessons, and some of them we've been able to do at one one sitting. Uh, some of the other ones we've not been able to do as much. Um, the little card I passed out some of these last time, um, but this is just this is just a way to kind of keep you on track, right? Um, if you notice, step one, crunch questions, um, and it's it, you know just having conversation with people. Uh, you get a you get a good idea to be able to get into these things. So first question you would have somebody: um, Do you attend church? That's one way to kind of just start the conversation, right? Whether they say yes or no, then you can kind of go from there, right? You get an idea of what what kind of background that they might have. Um, and I did this on Pow Talk last week, and it's really interesting. And I kind of felt bad afterwards, but then I got to thinking, I was like. You, you, you just take opportunities that you have. There was a guy on there, and he, you know, you can type and stuff. He's basically just having a conversation with himself. And I told him, I was like, it seems like you're having a pretty good conversation with yourself. I was like, I was kind of curious. And uh, he said, um, he said, I'm here witnessing and testifying. And I was like, okay. So it's like, just out of curiosity, if you were to die right now, do you know where you'd go? He said, I'm going to go to heaven. I said, well, how do you know? He said, because I was called by God. I was like, well, what verse do you have for that? And he says, don't question God's son. And I'm thinking, all right. There is no chapter and verse. But here's the funny thing. Um, I get into it, and I start saying, you know, if you were to die right now, do you know? And I start going through Romans chapter 3, and he just leaves just abruptly leaves the room. And that kind of tells me there's some problems there. And when you're confronted with, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is when you're confronted with the truth, you're going to have some problems, and that's exactly what was taking place with this young man or young woman. I'm not sure who it was. Um, I would assume it was a guy because he said, don't question the Son of God. Um so depending on how he meant that, because we've had a guy in there before said he was Jesus Christ. So I figured he has a little bit more things to do than be on a pal talk on Monday nights. But, but <laughs> so you got a universe to run. So, um, but but hold your place at Acts nineteen, and 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 I mentioned this after he left. <clears throat> you know there is a verse. That if if you wanted to use that, that you were called of God, um, go to Second Thessalonians, um, chapter two, real quick. Because um, if you wanted, if you wanted to do, you could you could use this verse. And I was hoping that this was the verse that he was talking about, because it, you know, we could have worked off of this. So in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen, we'll just start there says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he, what's that next word? Called who? You by what? How is it that God calls people today is our gospel, right? To the obtaining of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. 
And as we take a look at these things, may we be mindful of, of what's, what your ultimate goal today is to do is to get people saved and get saved people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And as we uh, are preparing ourselves to do just that, uh, that we would be mindful of allowing your word to be the final authority in all things, uh, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you look here, <clears throat> there's a few things that you notice. Verse 13, this is a real good Calvinist verse. If you take it out of context, you can be a Calvinist really easily. Because what's he saying in verse 13? He says, uh, Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath chosen you from the beginning. And so what they'll do is they'll stop and say, well, you're chosen from the beginning to salvation. And the problem there is, is, well, it's the beginning of what is what you have to ask. And the beginning is our gospel. Well, when was our gospel first started to be preached? This is in Acts chapter 9. So from the beginning of that dispensation, God has chosen people to be saved based on that gospel. He's not choosing you to get saved, but he's saying, here's how you're going to be saved, and I'm going to call you by our gospel, by Paul's gospel. And we're going to talk about that in the, the, the main service this morning. But that's that issue. What is it that you're saved by? How is it that this is going to be taking place is... From the beginning to the dispensation of the grace of God, God has used Paul's gospel to save those that are lost. And I was hoping that this, that this person would have brought these verses up because that would have been it. Right? Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about, when you think about going through these crunch questions as we started here, uh, do you attend church? Yes or no? All right, you can have that's a good way to kind of do a little icebreaker. And then, you know, if you, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? Heaven or hell? Well, some people say, well, it's just going to end, right? Well, can I show you, based upon the authority of the scripture, that that's not true and be able to get those things, right? So, again, this is just a way to kind of keep you on track. Um, use it as a template to work off of, and I promise you, the more you do this, the less you'll need this, right? And that's that's kind of the point. Um, I'm not I'm not a big huge fan of hey go memorize something like this, but when you do it over and over again, it just becomes second nature. It's not memory; it's just that's who you are, right? And you just do this. So, um, and and like we've got here, any other answer other than Christ alone then we can start going through some stuff. And if I could show you based on the authority of the scriptures that you can know that you have eternal life, would you want to know? All right, and then we've got the three critical issues. All of sinned, Romans 3.23. We need redemption. Um, here's the need. You've got redemption in Christ. That's the solution. Uh, how do you do that? By faith in, in the blood of Christ. That's our response. God says Christ is a fully satisfying payment. And what he asks us to do is agree with him that that's true, right? And, of course, those are the, those three, three um, critical issues that we want to be able to, to work on. And then on the back there, you've got the decision, right? Do the things that, does the things that I've shared with you, do they make sense? Do you have, do you desire to have eternal life? Would you like to trust Christ as your Savior? And, again, these are just some ways to go through there. And then you can ask them, what well, have you decided? And then the follow-up there, if you were to die right now, where would you go? How do you know that's where you're going? They now, they're now equipped with all the information that they need 
And their answer should now be what? The blood of Christ. That's how I know I'm going. Um, <clears throat> what did he say when he, that he would give you when you trusted Christ? Well, the answer is eternal life. Okay, so then how long is eternal life? It's eternal. It's forever, right? Uh, do you think you could ever get out of the family of God? The answer is no, because there wasn't anything that got you in that you've done, so there's nothing you can do to get out. And so then the last question that we have here, and of course, again, work on this and make it your own, but this is just kind of a, a, a way to, to step off and, and, and get going. Um, what happens when you, when you do sin? Well, we know that we've been forgiven, so we say, Lord, thank you for forgiving us, and we can move on, and we can actually deal with the sin that we have in life. So again, just, just kind of use those um, as you go through, and again, as you work through those things, you'll kind of create your own way to do that. And I've, I've mentioned this before. I would suggest to write your own track about your decision. It's easier to tell somebody else, tell somebody else your story than it is to tell somebody else's story, all right? So create your own track and kind of kind of work on those things, all right? Now, um, again, I just wanted to let let y'all know about that, and then also remind you, uh, I mentioned this last week, just some ideas that I would like for us to be able to produce in house and then possibly use in-house or definitely use in-house possibly maybe somebody else would want to elsewhere but um, developing an edification program uh, like an assimilation series like here's your new life getting started uh, beginning bible studies going on with christ just whatever kind of title we want to give it that way when somebody comes in we can kind of get them up to speed with with that with that so so be thinking about that all right now <clears throat> Last week, we, were, we started this lesson eight, and we're on that second page there. And on the front page there, what we've dealt with is how is it that you look at um, the church? How should the church operate? Well, is it to go get unsaved people and bring them in here and then, you know, beat them down and do an altar call and all that stuff and get them saved? Or is it we get equipped here and then take that message out to a lost and dying world and go get them saved and then we can bring them in to uh, bring them to the knowledge of the truth right so is it bringing it in let's try to do that or let's go out and um, i think biblically as you look and as we've gone through before i think biblically it's you go out get people saved through the gospel and then they come and uh, uh, come into the knowledge of the truth so uh, that was one of the things we talked about last time, and of course, then we got into that issue on the second page there about isolation, and uh, we dealt with some of those things talking about that. So we've gotten down um, to the bottom part here, part B, the confrontational. Uh, we've built this bridge with the person, right? We, we've we've created some bridge with somebody we, through a relationship. Um, however it is that we've done that, we've created some sort of bridge with this person that we're connected to them. Well, the next part is is the confrontation. We're going to test that bridge. So on here we've got at some point in our relationship with people, as soon as possible, we must confront them with their need for a Savior. Um, our society today, and that's, that second sentence there is truer now than it was a decade ago. 
Today our society is filled with people who are ignorant of the Bible. Often assume Christians are intolerant and manipulative, distrust any meaningful concept of truth, and are leery of making a commitment to anything. Um, I would go so far to say, and we've said this before, you've got professed Christians who are also ignorant of the Bible. And that's why there's so much false teaching out there that's just so easily picked up and and gone on with. So then the persistency here is what what I want us to be able to think about. So notice here in Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Acts chapter 19, we'll start here in verse 8. And this, of course, this is Paul. He's, he's in the synagogue here at Ephesus. That's where we are in chapter 19 here. He's in Ephesus. He's, um, notice, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. Notice, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one uh, Tyrannus. Now, when you look at this, verse 9, but when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, did he continue disputing with them? (laughs) That's an interesting thing, right? So this issue, what he's doing is he's testing this and he finds out that there's not a bridge with these people, right? So much so that they were hardened and believed not. But it's not just that they didn't do that they didn't believe, but they spake evil of that way before the multitude. And so then you stop and you think, um, there's going to be people that don't like what we teach. And they're going to speak evil of us because of what we teach. And we've got to be okay with that. And it's not up to us to defend ourselves just keep preaching the book. Keep preaching the word. You know, that persistence and the consistency there. Um, but the first part there in verse 8, don't, don't, don't avoid disputing. But if it comes to a point where they're just going to completely brush you off, then what do you do? You move on, right? Um, <clears throat> we're right here in chapter 20. Uh, go to chapter 20 real quick. <clears throat> and this, this goes along with, with that same idea that we've got here. And uh, we'll, we're going to back up to something in just a second. But I want you to think about this. Acts chapter 20, Paul's dealing with the Ephesian elders here. Notice in verse, I, I love this verse, Acts 20 verse 20. <clears throat> he says, well... Let's start off in verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've, I have been with you all at all, been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility and of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell, by, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Now, I like that part. He's saying, I've not kept anything back that would be profitable to you. Notice, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. 
So that's that issue. You know, we've talked about this before about Bruce and I going and knocking on doors. Um, if you ever do that, it takes up a it takes up an entire day, and it's worth it just to be able to have conversations with people and you get an idea of where people are. But it's this issue of how is it that you go is you want to go and keep nothing back. And you're wanting to be able to go to the point where you're able to, in verse 20, and how I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And you stop and you think about that. What does Paul know that's going to take place when he goes to Jerusalem is there are bonds and afflictions abide me. But notice in verse 24, but none of these things move me. He knows going into it, here's what's going to happen, but I'm not going to move off of what I'm going to go there and do. All right? So go back real quick, Matthew or Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Acts chapter 17, we could spend a bunch of time here in Acts chapter 17. Um, you notice in, in verse 1, where, does it, where is it that Paul goes? He goes to the synagogue of the Jews in verse 1. And it says in verse 2, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So here's what's interesting is, how is it that he dealt with the church folks there in 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 he was in Apollon or uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia and Thessalonica, and he's there, and he's going into these places. What is it that he's doing? Is what? How is it that he dealt with the church people? Is he says, "I'm going to go and show you some verses," right? And you know, here's how you're going to be able to go and talk to somebody if they really do truly believe the Bible. The thing that would convince them is the scriptures, nothing else, not a story. I was listening to a guy yesterday on the radio. Um, and I tell you what, have you ever heard the expression, um, you can turn a yarn, you can spin a yarn? This guy was spinning. He had a really good story, and he just, he got really just detailed and descriptive. And I'm like, that's that stuff over in First Timothy of here's this success story, right? And... He says there's a guy, he goes, he goes to the hospital. Um, the guy's not got much time to live, and he, they, they're not giving him food. And he says, I want a Whopper. And he's like, I'll see if I can get the nurses to go get you a Whopper. So they're like, yeah, we'll get him a Whopper. He goes back the next day, and the, guy's, the guy had passed away. And he said, I'm convinced that he first thing that happened when he got to heaven is he saw Jesus, and Jesus was holding the best Whopper. That he, I'm like, that's... That's spinning a yarn, right? It's just this really good story to make you feel good. And I'm sure people were sitting there thinking, you know, like you said, the church that you went to. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. I want a Whopper too. You know, it was, that, that's, that's the idea that, that we have. At, at, not we, but most people have. And that's what you're doing. Now, I've never had a Whopper. And I've heard they're pretty good. 
No. I've heard they're pretty good, but yeah. <laughs> but I don't, you know, those types of things just kind of, you know. But what he, you know, the interesting thing is he knows the audience and he knows what is going to touch them and make, you know, all that stuff. That's the same way Paul is. He knows his audience. He's going into the synagogue, and he knows that these folks in the synagogue, they know the Old Testament Scriptures, and what he's going to do is show them, notice in verse 3, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So then what we see here is, is how does he go about doing that is, here's the Scriptures. Well, if you drop down to verse 16, Verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. You know, I, I read that you've got the church folks there, the synagogue with the, with the Jews, the devout persons, and then you've got folks that he just met in the market daily, people that he just ran into and, and started having a conversation. But then in verse 18, he says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. So here you've got the, un, uned, uh, the educated, unchurched people. And Paul knows how to deal with them. right? And so then one of those things we've always talked about is, is when you go back and you, you read Romans chapter 1, and it takes us back to Genesis 1 through 11, really you get an idea that's the same type of people that we have today. You've got educated, higher learned folks who are completely unchurched. They've heard of the Bible, but they don't know what's in it. They don't understand things. They don't know what you mean when you talk about redemption. They don't know what you mean when you talk about propitiation. I mean, there's church people that don't even know that stuff, right? But here, here's the thing is he knows his audience, and he knows how to deal with them. <clears throat> and this is what they said about him. And some said, what will this babbler say? <laughs> he just, he, what's he going to say? What's this guy going to say? Other some, he seemeth to, have, to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him into Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. Now, if that's one of those things, if you've, got, if you've got the Epicureans and the Stoics and all those folks there, as you see, you go down a little bit farther, their whole thing is they want to find some new thing, right? So then, if this is a new thing and they say, may we know what this new doctrine is, what's that tell you about this doctrine that Paul's preaching? It's new. It wasn't talked about before, otherwise these guys would already know it. Right, because that's what they do. They collect to themselves new things. That's what he talks about in verse 21. But again, the issue here is Paul knows these folks. In fact, if you drop down to verse drop down to verse 27, um, and we'll, we'll go through here. Notice he says that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. 
For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. Now, if you look at verse 28 there, what's he do? He's talking to educated people, and he says, one of your own poets say. And he says, let me introduce you to the one that we are the offspring of. It's that one that you ignorantly worship prior to this. And it's interesting because he uses their current day contemporary writer and says, here's what one of your own educated people say. Let me introduce you to who we actually are the offspring of. It's not who you think it is. And, of course, at that time, you've got, you know, the, the different gods and goddesses that they're, that they're worshiping. And he's saying, well... What you've created, here's the real one. And, he's, and the Godhead's not like to gold or silver or stone, by, grave, uh, by graving by art and man's devices. Verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, that issue of assurance, that confidence that we have, that's where this comes from, right? When you look at this, <clears throat> he says, whereof he hath given assurance unto who? All men. In that he hath raised him from the dead. There is an assurance, there is a confidence that we have in this truth that he knows that they don't have. And what he's, what he's telling them is, here's how you can have that. And so then, don't, be, don't worry about if you have confrontations or disputings or anything like that. But sometimes you just got to know when to cut the cord. Right? Um, if, you're not, if you're not getting anywhere, that's that issue of testing the bridge. If they allow you to go across, go across. <laughs> if they don't allow you to go across, say, okay, I'm going to go find another bridge. Right now, <clears throat> part C here is that issue of the proclamational of actually crossing that bridge. Now, once you've won the hearing of a secured and secured permission, follow the steps that we've gone through. And the main issue is always what proclaim the cross. That's the issue. Scripture is the final authority in all things. Now, <clears throat> just some practical advice that we have through here. Um, you can do with it as you please. On page 48 there, if there must be an, off, an offensive element in presenting the gospel, let it be the cross, right? Don't let it be other things. Let it be the cross to be the, the offensive thing. Um, Paul says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves of the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. And that's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. So let the cross be, because we already know that the cross is offensive to them. It's offensive to their, their well-being. It's offensive to their way of life. It's a, that's what's taking place back here in Acts. Is, um, the silversmith comes up and says, what Paul's preaching is ruining our business. We're, we're making these statues of Diana, and all these people believe and then they're starting to go and follow this guy, this babbler, 
and he's ruining our business. And he goes to all the other silversmiths and says, this guy's ruining our business. So just a few things, do's and don'ts. And again, um, so do's and don'ts in making contact and becoming comfortable with a stranger. First, uh, do believe that this hour represents a life-changing moment, an opportunity. Understand the gravity of the situation. All right? Believe God. Go by faith. Trust the scriptures. Don't carry a large Bible when you go visit. Um, that's why I've said if, you, if anybody wants the little pocket Bibles, if you want one, I'll get one for you. Just let me know. Uh, we've had some folks that's gotten them. I uh, got Bruce some. Robert's got, gotten one. Delilah and I both have one. I thought I had one over there, but I think. Um, but if you'd like a little pocket Bible, let me know. Um, Bob had mentioned something about having something, just a little booklet that you can take with a lot of the verses and the things that we've got there. That'd be wonderful, you know, creating something like that. And he'd mentioned uh, taking a look at something like that. So that would be perfect. Here's everything you need. So it's not, you know, <clears throat> you don't want to go in with a stack of books and say, okay, let's, because <laughs> it's going to be overwhelming to the person, right? Um, do understand the importance of the first few minutes. People are suspicious of strangers, especially nowadays. Um, unless, of course, you knock on a door and somebody's like, yeah, come on in. And they don't even know who you are. That was fun. Then when you step in, they're like, yeah, you need to get back on the front porch. So that was, that was good times. Um, <clears throat> that, that was, I was like, I don't think we are who you th were expecting. So uh, don't, don't fail to appraise the situation uh, that you've just disrupted. You know, you got to think, nowadays, more often, more often than not, we're caught up in things that aren't really important, but don't go at, at supper time, you know. We found out you don't go during Kentucky-Louisville basketball game. We still did, but, you know, some people were, there was one gentleman that was upset, but, you know, pick your time, Right. Don't just be mindful, be mindful of what you may have just disrupted. Um, look sharp, groomed, confident. Um, sloppiness is just going to make them think less of the one that you're representing. You know, as, as an ambassador, you want to go and present yourself as the representative of the king because that's what you are, right? And you think about, you think about those things because a lot of that stuff kind of, It'll, it'll pull itself away. <clears throat> um, introduce yourself. Um, don't assume that your listener knows anything about the Bible. Because they might. Um, do's and don'ts of presenting the gospel. Do not begin until you've secured permission to present the gospel. The, the ability to say, if I can show you from the authority of the scriptures, if you'd like to know, can I show you? Asking permission to do that. You don't, you don't, Jesus died, for, you don't, you know, ask them for permission, create that bridge between the person. Like I said, they're going to be leery of you, especially nowadays. They're going to be leery of anybody knocking on their door. Because most of us have gotten to the point, if you don't send a text message, don't call me. If you don't send a text message, don't come to my house, right? 
That's where a lot of folks are today. If I don't hear a text message or something, I'm probably not going to like answering the door. So just kind of keep those things in mind. Um, <clears throat> that could be one of the most powerful things in, in the presentation. Do make sure the listener is clarified um, his hope of heaven before you begin. This will be important as you try to convince them um, as they go through. Don't make your testimony too long. That's why I think it would be a good idea to write it out as a tract. Three to five minutes. Right? And again, you don't want to take up their entire day. And don't fill it full of your success stories. Just talk about how you trusted in the blood. How you came to trust the blood. How you, how you did that. Um, do be positive in your approach and uncompromising in your message. That's the thing that a lot of times folks will do is they'll water down the message to appear um, approachable. Don't compromise the message. Never let the message be compromised. Um, don't give specific references when you quote the scripture. And again, that might be one of those things to kind of keep that, that little booklet. Um, do make the gospel logical. Use the five central truths um, of your presentation to flow through the gospel. Um, your passion is to hear those beautiful words. Hey, it all makes sense to me. Right? Um, keeping, it, keeping it logical. Number seven, don't make your next point until you're sure the listener understands the previous point. Um, salvation is, is more than just a quick recitation of truth and just a flippant way to go about it. Um, make sure that they know and understand those things. So don't talk about don't talk about King James Bible issues. Don't talk about their new life until they've got new life. Right? Don't don't jump ahead. Those types of things. Use illustrations for major truths. So come up with some of those, and if you don't have some, let us know. And what's going to happen is the more you do this, you're going to start having your own anyway. Don't, don't be afraid to handle a person's questions or objections. I would say invite them. Invite those objections. Invite those questions. As I've said before, questions tell me two things. One, you're paying attention. Two, you care about what we're talking about. So if they're asking questions, that's a good, that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> and do ask your, your, your listener to recite back the basic truths that you've shared with them. And this is the only way that you can know that they are listening and understanding. Um, do's and don'ts in, present in, in pressing for a decision. Um, do believe the salvation involves a decision. God asks us to choose to believe what his son, that his son died on Calvary to pay for our sins in full. That alone must be the decision that we press. Don't appeal for emotions. Again, the guy that I heard yesterday is... He goes into the hospital and asks the guy, says, would you like to ask Christ to come into your heart? That's not the gospel. Never has been, never will be, right? So don't make emotional pleas because it, it sounds good, right? Ask Jesus to come into your heart. It sounds good. It's a, it's, it's a romantic, emotional type of thing saying he, he wants you so much that he, he'll, he wants to come and live. Now, do we know that he does? reside in our hearts once we're saved yeah but it's not ask him to come into your heart that's that's never been that's never the gospel um 
Don't press for a, for a decision until you're sure that the person actually understands the gospel. Underla- understanding leads to desire. And one way that you know that is ask them. Be sure you understand the issues in the decision to be made. Many who witness faithfully see few actually get saved mainly because they honestly don't know how to bring them into sharp focus on the, on the issues and the decisions to be made. Um, and again, here's some things. Notice, think about, think about these. Do you, do you take your place before God as a lost, hell-deserving sinner, absolutely powerless to lift a finger to save yourself? Now think about how, you, how would you phrase that type of thing. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on Calvary to pay the full penalty for your sins? And again, how could you word that? Do you right now claim the free gift of eternal life which God promises to anyone who will place his hope for eternity in the finished work of Christ? And again, the issue, those three issues, that's the getting them to the decision part. And again, don't, don't press it like, you know, you're not a car salesman, you know. I need to get you saved in five minutes, otherwise I'm gone and, you know, don't, don't do that. Know that there's something more, more that's taking place here. Do stress that saving faith involves more than knowledge of the facts. Christ died, that's history. Christ died for sin, that's theology. Christ died for my sin, that's salvation. Right? It's that personal thing. God asked God ask me to claim this fact personally and apply it to my sin problem. It takes an act of choosing to make such a claim. Don't allow the seeker to believe he's saved through prayer, but pray with them. Let them know and understand there is, there is now a connection that God will hear your prayer. The prayer is not what saves you, but pray with them, right? Um, <clears throat> prayer is never a substitute for inner faith. Don't use high-pressure tactics. Like I said, um, if somebody hesitates to make a decision... That's okay. Like I said, you might just be planting. Let somebody else water. You might come back and water later on. Don't press it and say, you've got to do this now or I'll never come back, right? Be, be mindful of those things. Um, conveying assurance. Go over the verses on assurance. We've got one right there that we just looked at in Acts chapter 17, right? Where he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. God gives you an assurance that Christ has done something that you cannot do, and our, ins- our assurance is in Him. Our confidence is in Him, nothing else. And that's why we've got to be careful and mindful of those things. Um, don't tell somebody that you're now saved. That was, that was one of those things. I was listening to the guy. He's like, once you've prayed this prayer, I'm, I believe you're saved. That, that, again, when they understand and confronted with the questions, they'll tell you if they're saved or not. Don't say, okay, you've, you've, you've said all the right words, so you're saved. All right, be mindful of those things. Um, do, instruct, do instruct them uh, that salvation is once for all. Eternal life lasts forever and forgiveness of sins is total and complete. Don't allow the person to confuse faith and feeling. 
the majority of times growing up, I thought feeling was faith. And a lot of people do feel that way. Well, if I felt it, that was faith. So don't, don't, don't allow that to be confusing to the folks. Do assure a new convert that salvation is not perfection. <laughs> Your finances aren't all of a sudden in order. Your life's not all of a sudden going to be peach, peaches and cream, right? You're not all of a sudden going to have all the answers to everything. You're going to mess up. Because even though you're a new creature, you still have this nature, this old sin nature that, you, you know, you think about this. It, I was 21 when I got saved. I had 21 years of learning how to live lost. And I did pretty good 21 years living lost. But uh, after a short period of time, I had to learn how not to be that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's locked. <clears throat> Thank you. So learning that it's not perfection. Do encourage a new believer to find someone who trusts with whom he can share his decision. It's positively liberating to be able to do so. The follow-up. Do's and don'ts on follow-up. Don't walk away from a person who's trusted Christ as their Savior. The first 48 hours of salvation are a time of great need. Again, we said, you don't have a baby and say, okay, go figure out how to deal with life, newborn. So don't do the same thing with a new convert. Do have concrete edification su suggestions. That's these things here. Your new life, the getting started, beginning with your Bible, going on with Christ, whatever those assimilation series that we want to come up with, make sure that we have those things. Suggestion, go real quick, uh, Romans chapter 5, if there's, there's always a question, all right, so now that I'm saved, what do I do? Where should I begin? Answer is always Romans. And this is what I would suggest. As soon as you've got a new convert, somebody that's trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, first thing I would suggest is go memorize the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5. Right, So once you get that Romans chapter 5, and we'll just go through this a little bit real quick. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 verse 1, because this is now true for that person. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That person now knows something that they can go to and say, I have something. I not only am I justified by faith, but I have peace with the one who created the heaven and the earth. That's something that they currently can look at and say, I know that that's true because that's what that verse says. All right, and you go on down through here, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You have access into this grace where you stand. The way you access that is by faith, right? So having them memorize the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5, it's a great place to start. Um, do be conservative with your estimation of what's taking place. Um, whether you're watering or planting, don't think that what, what, your, what your greatest idea of what just took place, be, be conservative in that estimate. Right? Don't think, well, this person's good to go. Let's let's have them speak next week type stuff, right? <laughs> so just be careful, be careful on that. Simply tell the story modestly with as little notice of um <clears throat> of uh notice of your part and as much emphasis on what was actually believed as possible. 
If a, if a decision is real, it'll stand the test of time. Change often comes slowly to a new believer, but the edification process, it will come. And just know that. <clears throat> All right? So at the very bottom here, that is, uh, I've got the church phone number there, and I've also got my cell phone number. And again, if you would like me to meet with anybody that you've got in your farm network, uh, and of course, if you need if you need that that information, let me know. I can get that to you. Um, keep track of that stuff, right? You're planting or watering. We consider that your farm, right? Whoever you've made contact with, folks that you know, keep track of that. What what have I done? When have I done it? Not as a way to tell everybody, like, hey, I'm my my paper's full. What about you? No, this is a personal thing that no one else should know but you and the person that you've talked to, right? And again, the the way that we see success is are we consistently produce or are we consistently providing the truth correctly in a clear and concise way? It's not how many people that have trusted. It's are we doing the work of an ambassador, right? So keep those things in mind. So <clears throat> you all are now completely and totally equipped. You have been for a while. But now you've completely and totally been equipped to go and do this. And our goal is that we go and do this. All right. Um, as I've said before, we've got folks from different places. I would like for us to be able to do something in Frankfurt, something in Richmond, something in Lexington, something in Louisville, something in Danville, uh, something in Shelbyville. I'd like for us to be able to go different places and do this, whatever it looks like, however it looks like. Um, that would be a tremendous thing. Could you imagine, as I've said before, could you imagine if we were able to start six churches <laughs> from this local group here? How awesome would that be? We would go from one church that preaches this in the state of Kentucky to more than one. <laughs> when, we, when we graduated GSB in 2017, Brother Jordan said, fields wide open. I said, I know. The whole state, it's on our shoulders now. So this is now your all's burden as well. So you're welcome. <clears throat> but uh, if there's any of these lessons that you all have missed or if there's anything you'd like to go through or ask any questions on, Please let me know. I can get any of the information that you need. Um, but, um, yeah, questions, comments, concerns, yes. Question, when you get to Romans 3.25, uh -huh. and you're talking to a person that if you do drill them down on their salvation plan, they will agree that the finished work of the cross has saved them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, absolutely. So, sins that are past. And so there's two issues. One, obviously, you're not going to be able to say, okay, well, in time past, what was taken, you know, go to Ephesians 2, draw the chart and say all that. So there's two verses. There's two verses that I would go to. <clears throat> the first is Ephesians chapter four, and the other is Colossians chapter two. Um, and again, 
what's, what's the issue is the book's the issue, right? The Scripture is the final authority. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what Dr. So-and-so thinks. If, if we truly, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. If we truly walk by faith, this, the book's going to be the issue. So in Ephesians 4, <clears throat> verse 31, we'll just start there. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So when you stop and you think about that, that's already, you know that you've been forgiven. So you're still thinking, well, that's just my past, right? Well, that's why you put that with the Colossians chapter 2. So in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, and of course, there's all kinds of things that come off of this, but Colossians 2, 13, he says what? And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, right? So that's the moment from you moving from Adam to Christ. You're, you were dead, now you're made alive. And of course, being able to, to make that distinction. You were dead, now you're alive, you've been quickened together with him, having forgiven you, what? Past sins or all trespasses? So then when you look at that all, what's he say? So not only Ephesians 4 says, well, he's forgiven you, right? But what about what happens after? And again, that would be part of that, that presentation as you're presenting, well, how many sins? Well, that verse says all. So then when you look at that, okay, it's not just past, but it's all. Well, how many is all? Well, every one of them were because he died 2,000 years ago. And every one of your sins were future. And then, of course, you know, after six months to a year of them learning things, you can say, well, the past is, that's what allows him to save people in the Old Testament. So it's not your past sins. That's what allows him to go back and save those folks back there before the cross. Um, then you can get into those, those things later on. But that right there, Colossians 2.13, that's the one, all. And it's not all up to a point. Because otherwise it would say all up to a point. And what most people do is, well, that's not what it says. Well, that is what it says. It says all. All right? Yeah. Uh, um, also, in, in Colossians 2, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where it says circumcision without him. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't reverse the circumcision. Mm-hmm. And it's spiritual wisdom by God. It's irreversible. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's true, too. Um, and you've got that same thing as you're you know, when you, look at, when you look at Colossians 2, 9, it says, For in him, and of course that's talking about Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. If you're in him, and there is no sin in him, then even if you sin, guess what? He's already forgiven you of it. And you look at that verse 13 and say, but it says all, so I guess that means all. Um, but that is that is one of those things as you're reading through Romans Romans three twenty three that's that will be a question that pops up yeah and that's that's a very true statement so I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat>